Okay. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you for coming today. And my name is uh, Fan Yu Rao. I'm currently a PhD student working with uh, Professor Bertino uh, in Computer Science Department. And today I'm going to uh, present our work regarding uh, private record language. And this is a work, uh, a joint work with uh, other researchers from um, A-Star Singapore and uh, UT Dallas. So here, uh, today, uh, the outline of my talk today would be uh, like the following. Like at the very beginning, like I will uh, give the definition of the problem uh, we are going to solve, which is a private record language. And I will also introduce to you some of the background techniques uh, we are using to construct our uh, solution. Then I will uh, briefly uh, introduce a very closely related work which does not satisfy all the uh, privacy requirement. Finally, I will uh, provide you with a novel framework for a private record linkage. Um, also give the corresponding experimental results to demonstrate the uh, efficiency and effectiveness of this framework and so here. So at the very beginning I would like to say what is like uh, private record linkage. Actually private record linkage is a technique allowing multiple parties to identify uh, individuals corresponding to uh, the same entity in the real world or individuals with very similar attribute values. So here uh, we assume that like uh, each party has its own schema and in our problem setting we assume that there are only two parties involved and we will use Alice and Bob to denote these two parties participating in the process. So this Two parties will use, I mean, each having uh, its own schema will use their uh, predefined linking attributes to find out uh, those um, uh, records they have very similar attribute values. For example, here, uh, these two parties would like to use age, weight, relationship, and occupation to find out the individual uh, with very similar uh, attribute values. And here we also consider each record in the database as a d-dimensional point. So how do we consider two um, records match, match each other? One of possible rules we can, we can come up with is the following. We can actually use the weighted uh, squared Euclidean distance to measure the similarity or dissimilarity between any two records. And we say 
these two uh, records match each other if their weighted square Euclidean distance is upper bounded by a predefined threshold theta. And here, uh, say, wi would be like the weight for the ith attribute, theta would be the threshold predefined by both parties, and u and l denote the lower and upper bounds on each dimension. So, a naive solution to solve this problem would be like for each party to revealing its private input or its database to the other party. However, I mean, we know all know this will raise privacy concern because the privacy of those non-matching records will also be uh, revealed to the other party simultaneously. And this is not we like to have. So one thing, I mean, one approach to solving this problem is to borrow some techniques from the crypto community. And this technique is called uh, secure multi-party computation. Here, I mean, since we are dealing with uh, uh, the two-party case, then we will mainly focus on the two-party case, in which uh, Alice and Bob, each having its private input, will be able, I mean, through the invocation of secure multi-party computation, will be able to compute the function output of uh, their, on their joint private inputs, such that in the end of the protocol, only the designated uh, output is revealed to each party, namely Alice and Bob. A very uh, a famous approach to implement secure two-party computation is through the use of uh, Yao Scarborough circuits. In this, uh, in its pro in this uh, protocol, actually. Uh, Alice will act as a circuit generator, and Bob will uh, act as the circuit evaluator. They will together perform computation on their respective private input and get the final output. This approach uh, can be proved to be secure, but unfortunately, the cost of this kind of approach is prohibitively high. To make uh, the, I mean, this clear, like we give some concrete numbers. Here, actually, according to our experiment, the matching of two data sets, each having only 6,000 records with five attributes, it would take 40 days to uh, finish the comparison on a pair of i7 CPU. So we really need to, I mean, some approach to eliminate or obviate some unnecessary uh, secure comparison between uh, records. So before explaining how to do this, let's review a privacy concept called differential privacy. Okay, uh, differential privacy, I mean, intuitively requires that, I mean, um, given a database as the input, the output of any function computed on this input database should not um, 
change significantly whether or not any individual joins or leaves the database. So to be precise, if we are saying that a mechanism or algorithm M satisfies epsilon differential privacy, what we really mean is that uh, the ratio of the probability uh, of any output uh, before and after any individual joins or leaves the database is upper bounded by e to the power of epsilon. Like e is the natural number, like 2.71, something like that. And here we have a concept of uh, neighboring database. If we are saying that two databases are neighbors, then we are saying that uh, they only differ at one tuple. And we also know, it is also well known that epsilon, I mean, differential privacy could be achieved. I mean, when we are going to release or publish the uh, number of tuples in a database, it will be enough to add a Laplace noise of scale equal to 1 over epsilon, as we can see here. And the one, that one in the numerator is called um, sensitivity, which in the case of counting the number of tuples in the set is the max change to the counting function uh, after any individual joins or leaves the data set. As we know when we are counting a set, I mean the maximum change to that counting function could be only one after any individual joins or leaves the data set. And differential privacy uh, also has the nice property of composability, which means uh, the output of a mechanism satisfying epsilon 1 differential privacy. If we use this output and feed this output into another uh, mechanism, which alone satisfies epsilon 2 differential privacy, if we are doing things like this, then at the end, the output O will satisfy epsilon differential privacy as a whole, where that epsilon would be the sum of those uh, epsilon i, for i from 1, 2, 3. I mean, this is a, just a nice property of differential privacy. So next, uh, let's take a look at a very closely related work which tries to address the efficiency issue I mentioned earlier. This is a work published in 2010 in a very famous uh, database conference. So in their work, what they propose is for both parties uh, to first partition their uh, data space into disjoint subsets. And they will also publish the information of those bounding boxes as well as the noisy number uh, of tuples for each um, subset, disjoint subset. So how to produce uh, 
the uh, noisy number of subsets for each subset. Like, to do this, actually, each party has to draw a, a random number from that specified Laplace distribution to like, and then add that noise to the true count for that, for each subset. For example, uh, uh, Alice here draw a, I mean, she draws a random number from that distribution and that random number happens to be negative one. If that is the case, then Alice will have to uh, randomly suppress one record from her uh, data set. Say we take a look at the leftmost subset, C11. Alice in this case will randomly suppress like X3, which is one of her records in that subset. We note that this record will not participate in the secure comparison later on. And if that noise used to perturb the size of uh, a subset is uh, positive, then Alice will have to generate one um, fake record to participate uh, in the secure comparison later on. It can be seen that with uh, the information of those bounding bucks, because the information of those bounding boxes are actually revealed to the other party in the clear. That is to say, uh, unnecessary uh, secure comparison could be avoided. For example, Alice here would know that her record X1 does not have to be compared with any record residing in Bob's subset C22 because they are actually far away. And that's also the reason why um, we could, I mean, uh, the efficiency could be improved somehow because we actually could uh, avoid some expensive secure comparison by revealing the bounding box information. So in this second step, they will just carry out the secure matching and find out what is their like uh, records in common. So, but actually there is a very subtle problem within this approach, uh, which I might not have time to uh, explain today, but uh, in summary, actually we have proved that if, I mean, both pieces of information are revealed, then differential privacy could not hold in the end. That is to say, if both parties reveal the bounding boxes information as well as the noise, I mean, uh, the noisy counts for each subset, then together with the uh, information of matching results after the secure matching, more information could be inferred. And that makes uh, like a differential privacy not hold anymore. So to address this issue, what we are going to do is to 
introduce a third-party Charlie. This Charlie will have to coordinate uh, the matching process without knowing the matching results. So how do we do that? So uh, our protocol actually uh, consists of three steps. In the first step, it's like uh, the previous related work. Alice and Bob will have to partition their respective data sets into disjoint subsets. And each of them has to um, publish the uh, bounding boxes as well as and the noisy counts for each subset, and the encrypted records uh, within each subset. Those pieces of information have to be sent to Charlie. But here we notice that uh, Bob, I mean, Bob here will not see Alice's uh, bounding box information. Nor, nor does uh, Bob, meaning that Bob does not know Alice's bounding box information either. And in the second step, Charlie will have to uh, coordinate the matching process because Charlie is able to see those bounding boxes in the clear. And Charlie will know that uh, records from C1 might not, might have uh, potentially re matching records in C2. So after performing distance preserving randomization uh, on the encrypted records in these two subsets, Charlie will have to return those uh, randomized encrypted records back to Alice and Bob. In the third step, uh, Alice and Bob will uh, jointly perform secure matching protocol without the matching result being known to Charlie. So what, I, what we have achieved is that in the end of protocol, the matching results are not known to Charlie, while in the first step, like um, uh, the bounding boxes information, I mean, Alice's bounding box uh, are not known to Bob, and Bob's bounding boxes are known are not known to Alice either. So we, I mean, in this setting, we actually avoid the inference attack, which happened in the previous related work. So here we emphasize that, um, like, <coughs> Charlie has to randomize the encryption of uh, records X and Y. Uh, suppose that uh, according to the bounding box information, uh, Charlie knows that uh, an encrypted record encrypted under Alice public key and a encrypted record Y uh, encrypted under Bob's public key might match. Charlie has to randomize this potentially matching ciphertext. That is because um, we want to prevent uh, the inference attack in the case where x does not match y in the end. Because uh, 
at least might know how many of uh, how many times one of her records X uh, has been securely compared with Bob's records. We actually want to hide this kind, this piece of information, in the case when uh, a record X does not match record Y. So how can we do that? Actually, we will use a famous homomorphic encryption scheme called Pyre encryption, having the following nice property, meaning that if we um, multiply the ciphertext of uh, the ciphertext of M1 and M2, two messages, we are able to create uh, a ciphertext corresponding to M1 plus M2. Using this property, Charlie is able to perform that distance preserving randomization. So recall that, suppose that X, record X um, is encrypted under Alice public key and record Y is encrypted under Bob's public key. Using the homomorphic property I have just described, Charlie can randomly just randomly select a random number for each dimension and create uh, a randomized a pair of randomized records, X prime and Y prime, while preserving their relative distance. Here we can see uh, uh, X is a two-dimensional point and Y is a two-dimensional point. Charlie randomly select gamma 1 and gamma 2 and add these two uh, numbers to the corresponding dimension. And in the end, uh, Charlie is able to create an encryption of X prime and an encryption of Y prime, encrypted under Alice and Bob's public key, respectively. And here we can see that the distance between X and Y is actually preserved. And <coughs> even Alice is able to uh, decrypt that ciphertext corresponding to her uh, record X. What she can see is only the random number, and so does Bob. So what we have seen is that uh, Charlie is able to create an encrypted version of uh, X prime and Y prime, such that uh, the distance between X and Y is equal to the distance between uh, X prime and Y prime, the randomized records. So what we are going to see next is that I would like to establish the fact that actually X prime matches Y prime. Will be true if and only if big delta is upper bounded by big theta. So recall that uh, 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 what is our definition of uh, like uh, two records 
matching each other. Actually, it's the first inequality we can see in the first formula here. It can be easily seen that the first inequality is true if and only if big delta is upper bounded by big delta, where big delta is uh, the squared weighted Euclidean sum of these two randomized records, and big delta is uh, the square difference between upper bound and between upper and lower bounds multiplied by theta. So one solution for these two parties, Alice and Bob, to match the records is that Bob can jointly compute with Alice um, the encrypted big delta under uh, Alice's public key and send this ciphertext back to Alice. Since Alice has her own private key, so she can use her private key to uh, decrypt uh, this ciphertext and get delta. And Alice will know that um, whether or not this inequality holds. If this inequality holds, then she knows that, well, x and y match each other. However, in the case of non-matching, this delta actually reveals sensitive information. At, at least it reveals uh, Alice's record, I mean, the distance between these two randomized records. If we even want to hide this piece of information, what we have to do is for Bob to jointly compute an encryption of delta plus rho encrypted under Alice's public key. Here we notice that rho is a much larger random number compared to delta so that it can safely mask the true value of uh, delta, the left-hand side of that inequality. So actually Alice here, he can get big delta plus rho, and Bob has big delta plus rho, where rho is only known to Bob. Now they are able to perform secure comparison without Alice knowing the distance between these two randomized records. That's how uh, the secure matching is done. So below are uh, the properties of our protocol. First, we, what we can guarantee is that for each pair of records being securely compared by these two parties, the decision rule we just mentioned at the very beginning is correctly computed. And the second guarantee we can provide is that at the end of a protocol, what Charlie sees remains limited to those bounding box information and the noisy counts of subsets, nothing else, because the matching results are hidden from Charlie, only known to Alice and Bob. And the third guarantee we can provide is that at the end of a protocol, Alice and Bob only know the matching records plus the total number of uh, secure comparison performed. That's the three properties we can guarantee. 
So uh, we will also discuss how uh, our protocol, I mean, how our protocol enables Alice and Bob to partition their uh, data space. But first, let us take a look at this non-dominating rule which we are using to build that uh, space partitioning algorithm. So recall that to, absol uh, to satisfy epsilon x differential privacy, when we are going to publish uh, the number of tuples in a set satisfying uh, differential privacy. We can use uh, Laplace noise, or we can draw a random number from a Laplace di distribution uh, with scale equal to 1 over epsilon x. And we also know that uh, the expected absolute value of the noise is exactly equal to 1 over epsilon x. Here, what we can see is that uh, if we have a higher epsilon x, actually uh, the noise generated, the expected noise magnitude of noise generated would be lower, which, I mean, in some sense, maintain the data quality. Like if we have uh, less noise, then we will have better estimate of how large this subset could be or how many tuples are actually inside that subset. Sometimes we also call this epsilon x the privacy budget. And actually we can see uh, that this, there is a trade-off between privacy and data utility here. And non-dominating rule actually further requires that the following inequality is true. When counting a set C with estimated um, count S tilde, actually we would like to make sure that the ratio of the expected Laplace noise, I mean expected uh, absolute value of Laplace noise to that noisy, I mean to that estimated count S tilde is upper bounded by eta. In English, actually, we would like to say is like we do not want, I mean, to, in order to maintain data utility, we do not want the magnitude of the noise being too large. So here, uh, after seeing uh, the non-dominating rule, we are ready to uh, present our uh, algorithm to uh, partition the data space. So our algorithm uh, will start from the root and partition the data space recursively. Basically, we are going to build a search tree over the database. And our space partitioning algorithm consists of two stages, probing and populating. And given the total privacy budget eta, we will divide it into two parts. One, I mean, one half of that budget will be uh, assigned in the first stage, and the other half will be assigned to the second stage. 
And we also assume that uh, given uh, the given a tree node being processed, this we have already had the following three pieces of information regarding this tree node. First, the bounding box records and the records uh, inside that bounding box and also the currently available probing budget together with the noisy count S tilde. Our goal is to count or uh, is to count the size of uh, the two child nodes of that tree node C. So how to count this? I mean how to count the two childs of two children of this tree node C. Actually we have to m make another assumption. We have uh, in this paper we I mean it's just a heuristic. We actually assume that two children of this tree node C contain approximately the same number of records which is S tilde divided by 2. And now we will apply the non-dominating rule to compute like uh, how much privacy budget I should spend to uh, count uh, the number of records for each child of this tree node C because we do not actually want to spend too much budget I mean in some sense. So let's take a look at uh, how things works, I mean how our algorithm works in the first stage, the probing stage. So suppose that uh, we are processing uh, a tree node with um, a, the estimated size equal to 29,000 and the current privacy budget is equal to 0.5. What we are going to do is to apply the non-dominating rule to see like how much budget I should spend to count each of the uh, child nodes for this currently tree node being processed. So according to uh, the formula of non-dominating rule, it says uh, to accurately count the number of records inside each of its uh, child nodes, we should uh, at least spend 0.07 I mean of privacy budget to count each child node and since right now we have uh, the currently available budget is equal to 0.5 we are able I mean we, we have enough budget to do this so we will split this tree node into two child notes along the dimension of gender, say male or female. And we will use uh, 0.07 to count each of the child note. What I meant is we will use 0.07 as the parameter to that Laplace noise, uh, um, Laplace distribution and we will sample a noise from that distribution. And in this case Let's take a look at the left child node. Here we can see that uh, in this case 
for the left child node, the noise I have drawn is actually positive. And that's why uh, the true count S, although it's equal to 9,664, the estimated or the noisy count for this child node is actually equal to uh, 9,669.5. Of course, we will do the rounding actually. And for the right child node here, actually uh, the noise we have sampled is negative. So in this case, uh, the, uh, the published uh, noisy count for this child node would be like uh, 19,934, uh, and I mean, which is less than its true count. And also we have to subtract that 0.7 from the um, available uh, privacy budget. So the available privacy budget for left and for both the left and right child nodes would be 0.43 instead of uh, 0.5 previously. So let's consider a case when we do not have enough um, privacy budget. So like here, the current node we are processing only has like uh, available budget of 0 0.018. And when we apply that non-dominating rule, we'll find out that, well, we do not have uh, enough budget because according to that rule, we have to have uh, 0.211, which is larger than the currently uh, available privacy budget. So how do we do right now? Actually, we just split this tree node into leaf directly. But another question raises, how many leaves should we grow? Actually, we need to make sure that we do not grow too many leaf nodes. Again, how many leaf nodes should we grow from this tree node currently being processed? We will again apply that non-dominating rule. And according to our calculation, uh, we should not produce more than four leaf nodes in this case. So we know that we were going to uh, we will be going to split this current tree node into no more than four leaf nodes. What we are doing, well, we, what we will be doing would be use a uniform grid to partition the data space along uh, each of the, I mean, two chosen dimensions. And we will produce the following four subsets. And here, like, uh, S denotes the true number of records within that subset, and S tilde denotes the noisy number, I mean, of uh, number, noisy number of records within that subset. Here is how, I mean, we are going to, uh, uh, how our algorithm works. So we also have some like experimental results. And according to that results, actually we find 
we found that actually our protocols are much better in terms of efficiency and effectiveness. So here is some results. First, uh, the cost of that space partitioning algorithm is pretty low. Like if there are 6,000 records within each database, then the cost of partitioning is only 35 milliseconds. However, the cost of uh, distance preserving randomization is pretty high. According to our results, like it will take Charlie at least 33 milliseconds to randomize one record pair. And the cost of secure comparison uh, per record pair is even higher. Like it will take almost 0.1 second for Alice and Bob to securely compare their uh, randomized records. However, we noticed that uh, this kind of process could be uh, highly parallelizable. For example, uh, on the left hand side, we can see that it will take around like uh, 45 hours if we only have one pair of i7 CPUs. However, if we have like 100 pairs of Intel Xeon CPUs, then the time could be reduced to within two hours. So we also have some experimental results regarding the time we could save uh, by using our algorithm. Uh, we also compare our algorithm with other state-of-the-art I mean, uh, state schemes which also, I mean, I mean, which is claimed to be uh, satisfying differential privacy. So, here I would like to uh, emphasize that here actually, uh, using by using our algorithm, uh, the time will, uh, both parties uh, will spend on the matching process will be around like 20 hours. However, when using the schemes provides, I mean the space partitioning schemes provided by uh, other two papers, it would take at least uh, 70 hours for them to finish the linking process, which is, I mean, which actually demonstrate uh, the efficiency of the space partitioning algorithm I have just described. And also, our scheme also achieves uh, high, uh, if, like high recall rate. It can be seen that uh, given all possible uh, data set sizes and all possible uh, pri privacy budgets ranging from 0.1 to 1.0. Actually, we could achieve uh, the recall rate around like to around 95%, which meaning that 95% of the matching record pairs could be retrieved after uh, executing our proposed uh, framework or protocol. Notice that why we will have uh, missing um, tuples here. 
meaning that the recall is not 100%. That is because in order to uh, satisfy differential privacy, the number of records will not, I mean, is not accurate. Recall that we actually have to sample a random number from the Laplace dis uh, distribution, and if that random number sampled happens to be negative, we, I mean, we have to actually suppress, randomly su suppress some records and prevent these records from participating in secure comparison later on. That actually result in a recall less than 100%. But I mean, anyway, according to our experiment, it can be seen that uh, our algorithm, our space partitioning um, scheme is very effective. So here in this uh, work, we actually uh, provide a framework, a novel framework for private record matching which is actually provably secure and it's also efficient and effective. So the, for the future work, we plan to work on the matching of structured data like trees or graphs. Yeah, so here, I mean, this is my presentation today. Thank you for coming. And if you have any question, you can ask me right now. I know, I mean, the talk is a bit technical and <laughs> might be also <laughs> boring, but yeah, thank you for coming today. Anyway, thank you very much. So any question or we can just <laughs> call you the day or <laughs> Okay, uh, so, yeah, yeah, thank you for coming today. Thank you.